the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where if you haven't heard yet, the city of L.A. is throwing a huge pizza party in Culver City tomorrow because LeBron James is officially a Los Angeles Lakers. So hashtag crust the process. The king is here. Heyo. Tommy, LeBron James is officially in the purple and gold. He signed his contract today. I know we've constantly been scheming about the roster surrounding LeBron James and how everyone will fit with each other. But all things considered... Has it really hit you yet that LeBron James is a Laker? Was today like the first time since the announcement that everything kind of came together and solidified for you? Does the phrase LeBron James Lakers sound weird to you still? Yeah, let me know what your thought process is right now and whether or not seeing the uh, official Lakers Twitter with that LeBron logo of him, you know, looking behind his back in a Lakers jersey kind of hit you for real. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, from the time that we found out, it, from the first Woj bomb, there was obviously that initial rush. And then it's like natural, right? It's like nothing, we know that nothing is going to happen for months because training camp doesn't start till September. And the first preseason game is not going to be until, I don't know, middle of September or something. So it's, or late September. So it's, there's this natural lull where you kind of forget about it. But then when things just become official and you see the picture of him with Rob Palenka <laughs> and his, his, uh, his agent and they're just sitting there and he's got a big smile on his face. He's already tweeting stuff about Culver City. It's like, it, it really, I think hit me. Uh, it didn't hit me. It won't fully hit me until the first preseason game when I actually see him in a Lakers jersey playing basketball. But it was definitely like a a nice little post-holiday boost that I needed to uh, get get myself through the rest of this week. You know, people have been photoshopping LeBron onto the Lakers jersey since pretty much last year and incessantly more so since the signing happened. But I think once I saw the actual official Lakers Twitter throw that picture out, I was like, oh, shoot, 
he looks really cool in a Lakers jersey, you know, because that had to go through approvals from the actual Lakers organization, probably through Rich Paul and LeBron himself. And just seeing all of the new graphics that are coming from uh, the official Lakers side is pretty cool. And just seeing that picture of uh, Rich Paul, LeBron James, and Rob Palenka together. Yeah, that, that cemented it for me. And obviously... Once we actually see him in media day with the jersey, then we'll get to that next level as well, because apparently he's not going to have a huge presser. And in fact, his big welcome to L.A. is going to be happening in Culver City tomorrow or today, depending on when you listen to this podcast. So Blaze Pizza on Culver. I think there's a Starbucks right there as well. If you're not doing anything tomorrow or you're going to take a sick day off or if you want to take a longer lunch, try and head out there to see the king. So, yeah. It's a great day to officially have LeBron James as a Laker. Uh, Tonight's episode, we're pretty much going to be talking about what's happened since LeBron James signing and get Tommy's thoughts on how the roster has kind of come together or not come together, depending on your opinion. We'll talk about what we want to see the Lakers do for their last move or their last remaining few moves. And then we'll get into Summer League and what we've seen from our young guns who are looking pretty hot right now. Josh Hart, Svi Mikhailu, uh, Moritz Wagner. Uh, we'll talk about those guys as well. But before we get into that, as usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and review us, that's how many pizzas LeBron will be hand-tossing or hand-rolling at his Blaze Pizza event in Culver City tomorrow. So tweet so with your pizza with the king and rate and review us on iTunes. Maybe he'll even do the uh, chalk toss in front of you, but instead of chalk toss, he'll be using pizza dough. Hey. Hey. Or they put like they put flour on their on their hands, right? To the, flour, that's what yeah, I mean. There you go, flour. <laughs> he'll, he'll throw flour in front of you and do the chalk toss. Uh, with that said... So, Tommy, speaking of LeBron James, I wanted to talk to you about, I don't know if you've thought about this, but I I think you've been on board with LeBron James for the last five years, so maybe... That I have been. Yeah, so so maybe you need to kind of get into this headspace with regards to my next question. So the LeBron James narrative. Obviously, we thought it was going to go one way. We thought he'd be coming into a Lakers team with a ready-made superstar duo. But as it turns out, Paul George isn't here. Kawhi Leonard isn't here, or at least not yet, but that doesn't feel like it's going to happen this season unless the Spurs really cave at the end or, you know, Sixers really don't take that chance and trade for him. But I guess, I think for for Lakers fans or Kobe fans in general, Kobe stands who have had a hard time embracing LeBron as a Laker, or those like me who like a year or two ago once thought that taking LeBron on would kind of feel cheap. Or like we were just inputting a cheat code. I feel like the narrative has completely flipped, especially with how the roster has shaped out and the fact that LeBron really doesn't have an actual superstar B with him. Because of how it's turned out and now it's just LeBron James and the Lakers' young core, I feel like in in that process, LeBron James has become a more, somehow, a more endearing and commendable figure. And somehow he's also the underdog in all of this. And uh, with the Warriors recently getting DeMarcus Cousins, honestly, they didn't even need to get DeMarcus Cousins for it to shape out this way. But it now feels like the Warriors, even more so, are the common enemy that everyone loves to hate and is trying to dethrone. And, And really, you could argue that there are several teams outside of the Warriors that on paper are actually still better than LeBron's Lakers, which still sounds weird to say. But yes, um, in that sense, it kind of feels like this LeBron against the world mentality. And it feels like LeBron's got the deck stacked against him. And if he's 
able to actually make this team in one year a true contender that would only amplify his legacy and take it to the next level somehow in some way um so i think in that sense for me it, it makes it it makes him seem like a more endearing and rootable player the fact that he made this move on his own and he's taking this challenge on at age 33 soon to be 34 um so for me if you're for some reason still on the fence with lebron james i think the narrative shifting in this way should make him at least like this isn't a cheat code. This doesn't feel cheap. Man, if we somehow make it to the finals, that would be such a huge accomplishment, even though we have the best player in the league. And obviously, now that LeBron James is a Laker, so many people on Twitter, NBA Twitter, the media is now discounting LeBron James, saying, you're getting a 34-year-old dude who's aging. How long is he going to last? Can he really carry this team, et cetera, et cetera. But I guess my question to you is, do you feel that narrative shift? And how does the the fact that the storyline has kind of shifted to, oh, it's not LeBron plus Paul George or LeBron plus Kawhi. It's LeBron against the world along with his young core. How does that change things for you? And does it make you even more excited in a sense to somehow be an underdog amidst the fact that we just got the best player in the league? It doesn't change my perspective that much. And I, this is going to be, this is going to, everybody listening to what I'm about to say is going to be like, you are so full of it. Um, but I honestly feel this and I felt this way frankly the whole time and and I always thought that because the Warriors are a team that exists because Houston is a team that exists as formed you know in the last year or so even LeBron James and Paul George is like not a super team you know what I mean so if even if we got both guys and kept all our young players I would still go into the season feeling like we were an underdog mm-hmm. would we be well would I feel more confident than I do now yeah just because you're obviously Paul George is better than what we have um, as a second option. But I guess in that sense, my, my perspective has never really shifted. I always felt like based on what we read, and I know that you read a lot of nonsense out there, right? But based on things I read, based on things I heard, you know, both like discussed on the podcast and, and not discussed, um, I just felt confident that LeBron was coming regardless uh, the whole year. And that was one thing I never wavered on. There were times during the season where people were like, oh, you know, I think there's a 25% LeBron chance LeBron's coming because the Cavs are actually getting good now and they could make a title run. But Paul George, that's 90%. And I always felt like LeBron was 100, but there was a chance that Paul George wouldn't. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. from that perspective, I always sort of felt like LeBron was preparing for this to be a me against the world. And despite all the narratives of, well, the second he gets here, we'll ship out the whole team for, you know, any veteran that emerges on the trade block. I always felt like I kind of take the front office at face value. Um, so far they haven't did, they haven't done something or said something and then done something that directly contradicts what they're saying. You know what I mean? Which, for one example, I'm sure we'll talk about this as, as the episode rolls on, but the signings, the recent signings, these are not LeBron James, classical LeBron James teammate signings, right? But it's not like the front office is going out there publicly saying, well, you know, we have LeBron James now, so we're support, we're surrounding him with shooters and guys who can, you know, do things that, uh, their games will be complemented by LeBron. You know, it, we're not trying to make some stuff up like that. We're saying, no, we're taking a different approach. These are guys who we recognize they're not shooters, but we got them for other purposes, you know? So yeah. we, we addressed our shooting through the draft and, and that's not a lie as we've seen in the summer league. And so I, I, I haven't really yet seen one time 
where they said something and did something else. You know, from the whole Paul George situation, they said, we're not going to make a trade just to make a trade. We, an option for us is always going to be just build through the young core. When they got LeBron, and he, before they got LeBron officially, Magic Johnson said, this is a two summer thing. We're not going to make a move just to make a move. We're going to make the right move. And signing LeBron is the right move in any context. I, so I always kind of felt like LeBron was coming regardless. And so I always felt like there's, there was this scenario where it could play out to where he was going to be, like you said, me against the world. And, and, uh, and here we are. I agree with everything you said, and I actually, I can confirm and affirm the fact that Tommy has been on board with LeBron James to the Lakers since 2011, 2012, pretty much, since we started our message thread on Facebook. But I guess my, my actual question to you would be, if you could put yourself in the shoes of, and you know that these fans exist, especially with what happened to his mural on Venice, where someone, you know, vandalized it. Right. If you could put yourself in the shoes of someone who has been a LeBron hater and is jostling with this cognitive dissonance of him wearing the purple and gold, I guess, could you speak to the fact that do you think at least that, yes, the narrative has changed. This isn't the same LeBron that went to the Miami Heat and kind of front runned kind of the way that Kevin Durant is doing. And in this sense, it kind of feels like it's it's endearing that he took on a bigger challenge. Obviously, no one is feeling sorry for LeBron James that he went to LA because obviously there are other benefits outside of basketball, regardless of how well this team is set up to contend this year. But even just the fact that he's coming into this with no assurances that there's going to be a star coming at least in this next year. And he's willing to take on that challenge. It's so different than the Miami Heat thing when he's just like, let me team up with superstar A, superstar B. And even even the Cleveland thing, he was coming back home, but he knew he, they were kind of set up and they already had like a ready-made superstar in Kyrie Irving. So I guess, do you think that if you were in those fan shoes, you'd be like, you know what? I can get on board with this LeBron James guy and his me against the world kind of mentality going into this year. For me, I think it adds a little more intrigue as well, because this kind of reminds me, let let me know if you agree with this, kind of feels like that 2007-08 Kobe season where Kobe, Kobe Bryant, you know, demanded a trade in the summer, wanted them to ship Bynum's ass out. And then he was just like, okay, fine, I'll keep playing. And somehow the team just clicked and Bynum emerged and mid season, the Lakers were first in the west somehow led by kobe bryant 100%. and mid-season he got his second superstar even though bynum went down in pal gasol and then from there that ushered in the next lakers mini dynasty so for me i think even just narratively the fact that it's starting off in this poetic way that like oh lebron james is coming to try and revive the lakers but it's going to be a tough road is even a lot better just you know we're, we're in hollywood somatically than just Oh, LeBron James is coming to meet Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and they're going to take over LA, and all these expectations are heaped onto him. So, if you could speak to that that narrative and just like the personal aspect of it with regards to Lakers fans and their relationship with LeBron James, I definitely think it will help in that sense. Um, in terms of, like you said, there are fans who, for reasons beyond me, think that it's <laughs> impossible to like LeBron James and also like be, you know, be a Kobe Bryant fan and be a Laker fan. The the two things are not mutually exclusive, despite what, you know, some people might think. And I completely agree with you. I, I actually was just talking to Alan like 
two days ago about this. Unfortunately, he isn't able to join, so he cannot vouch for me. But we, we did talk about this. And I think it's so perfect that you bring up the 2007-2008 Lakers because that's exactly what I said. I said we the, that team was kind of like this team. We came into the season super wonky roster. You know what I mean? Like, and, and wonky now because of the guys we signed – wonky back then because we didn't change anything despite Kobe's demands. It's like, there was this huge dramatic thing that it was like, people forget. It was like a saga, dude. Like he demanded a trade in like June or something. He was going to play in Mars or something. Yeah. It was like, it, it was absurd. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and it lasted for so long and, and it was like the entire summer and there, there was this whole saga and, we were going to get Luau Deng really early. <laughs> exactly. And, and it's just really funny, actually, but that's true. But despite all of that, we came back into the season with exactly the same roster. And the we were trashed the entire season. I remember reading one of these stupid, like, ESPN preseason predictions of where teams were going to, you know, the final win-loss record for each team. And ESPN projected we were going to end up like 10th that year or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember thinking like, yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going on with this team. And like you said, things happened unexpectedly. All of a sudden, right in front of our eyes, we saw Andrew Bynum took a leap from being like a young player with some promise to legitimately being an all-star caliber player before he got hurt. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan Farmar took a leap from being like a nice piece that we drafted in, you know, the mid late, uh, first round into Kenny Smith on TNT saying Jordan Farmar would be a starter on any team in the NBA, you know, except for the Lakers because they have Fisher, you know? So it's like, we, we saw all these young guys take all these leaps. I mean, honestly, even before we traded, uh, Mo Evans and like Brian Cook, like, you know, those names for that we, Ariza for Ariza, even those like Mo Evans, who like, I hated that guy <laughs> before, you know, when he was on the team the season before he was so frustrating to watch, even he was playing good. You know what I mean? So it's like sometimes things, I, I guess what, what, what makes this whole LeBron situation interesting is a lot of fans are approaching this from the perspective of our exact same team from last season is now adding LeBron Rondo and Lance Stevenson. Instead of viewing this as historically second to third year is the year that a lot of guys who ultimately become all-stars in the NBA take a leap. Mm-hmm. This could be that year that Brandon Ingram takes a leap from being like an interesting prospect with uh, like outstanding measurables and a really quote-unquote interesting game into something tangible. This could be the year that Kyle Kuzma takes that that leap into into be, you know from being a guy who was a good scorer on a team that needed scoring into a guy that's just a good player. You know, this could be the yeah. the, the year that Lonzo takes that leap, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, if all those guys, I think that's like one thing people aren't factoring in. So, I was telling Alan, dude, I get a lot of those same vibes, like you said. This could, again, I'm not like Laker Homer glasses. I'll be the first to admit it, but this could be the year, a year where we start the season, the team's getting used to each other. They feel each other out. If certain guys have improved, we could be 
because we have so much young, hungry energy and we have like a new revitalized just team and organizational energy because we brought in LeBron James, this could be a team that shocks a lot of people because they're going to outwork you. They're going to out-hustle you. I mean, how many games did we win last year because we out-hustled the other team because we were younger, so we just ran faster, you know, and we were able to stay in better shape longer, you know, or like stay, mm-hmm. uh, not get winded as fast. You know, these things are all factors that helped us last year. Guess what? Most of those guys are still here. So they can still do those things. And then now they're flanked by the King. You know, we won 35 games. We won 35 or 37. I always forget. 35. We won 35 games last year, but how many games did we throw away early in the season where we did these, you know, uh, we, we recorded after the game or the day after the game. And we said, you know, there is such a thing as a moral victory. The Lakers with a team with it, with one guy over the age of 20 who wasn't afraid to score down the stretch would have won that game last night. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that 35 win team, just, you know, adding anybody who's a somewhat decent veteran, maybe that 35 wins goes to 40 wins. Now you're adding LeBron James to that equation. That instantly propels you over 50 wins. I think currently a floor for this team is 50 wins. Yeah. I think that's not unreasonable when you add LeBron James and, and, and Rajon Rondo, say what you want. He's an upgrade over Tyler Ennis. And injured, <laughs> and injured Isaiah Thomas. You know what I oh, mean? for sure. So IT won us a couple games, but he was also very hurt, and he did not play very well in a lot of games. And he, he frankly didn't play that many games total for us. So Rajon Rondo, better than Tyler Ennis. You know, Lance Stevenson, weird, weird signing. I can't really rationalize. <laughs> but is he worse than Corey Brewer? I think he, at least he can do some stuff with the ball. <laughs> you know? And Corey Brewer was our only backup wing for most of the year last year. Uh, JaVale McGee, again, somewhat interesting signing, but we didn't have one guy who, who did the types of things that he did on our team, on our roster last year. Like we were plotting out Zubots who out of shape Zubots, even worse than in shape Zubots. You know? yeah. so, Nance, Nance was the closest option to throw it up into the air and have a guy who can catch it. And JaVale McGee can do even, even more crazier things than Larry Nance ever could as well. So exactly. And I love Nance, but. He's 6'9 and got the crap beat out of him. I mean, I went to games last year and saw Nance just getting... I mean, I love Larry Nance. He tried his best and he nobody could have done better than what he did at his size. But God, was he getting punked around the rim last year, like just tossed to the side. You know, so having a guy like JaVale, is gonna, that's going to be an upgrade. So I think th- those additions alone take us to 50. Yeah. Where the wild card factor is, is what if all these guys just, you know... <laughs> We, there's just this rush of energy. The first year, Golden State won 67 games or whatever in 66 games in Kerr's first season. Their roster was like exactly the same as it was the season before. You know, maybe minor role player additions. But they had all this renewed energy because they had this new system and guys took leaps on that team. Clay Thompson elevated himself slightly. Draymond Green became an all-star caliber player. Steph Curry elevated himself. And I think we could see something similar here. Piggybacking off of the young core, I feel like I myself have fallen into the trap of the way the media has viewed the Lakers signings in terms of... I keep forgetting after all this, and, and this is this is the reason why I think we've forgotten this and fallen prey to the perception that, oh my God, it's LeBron James, Rondo, and Lance Stevenson against the world. It's it's because the the initial template that we had was LeBron James and Paul George, right? So if you're if you're comparing it to that, then it feels like such a steep drop off. For me, it was like, okay, 
I always knew that we had Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, and Josh Hart. But in a weird way, I always felt like they were just icing on top of the cake. And that once we got LeBron, then for sure we're going to get a superstar B. And the fact that we don't have a superstar B to flank him, it feels very disappointing. And you see the guys that rounded, that Palinka rounded the team out with in terms of Rondo, JaVale, KCP. They're definitely uninspiring when you when you parallel and juxtapose that with Paul George or Kawhi Leonard even, or even a Damian Lillard. But I think what we've forgotten in... All of that is that if everything goes according to plan and Luke Walton's smart and the guys progress at even just like a normal rate, Rondo, Lance, JaVale, hopefully KCP because his one year of, you know, us giving him favors is done. These guys presumably will not be getting the bulk of the minutes. But for some reason, because they are the veteran dudes and they're the playoff tested guys that LeBron James knows, I think we fall into that trap of like, oh God, these guys are going to get the most minutes and we're probably not going to get anything out of the young guys or I don't know. It, it just it just feels like, yeah, I've forgotten that. Oh, the young guys could essentially be number two, number three, number four in the hierarchy of all this. And 100%. And so I, I've, I'm reminded of the fact that you talked about year two, year three. Actually, year three is usually the time that players make that jump. And I'm just reminded of the Boston Celtics and that. Why can't this be the year that Brandon Ingram turns into the Jason Tatum or the Jalen Brown that the Celtics had in the playoffs this year? Or Lonzo Ball does the same and Kyle Kuzma, et cetera, et cetera, where these surprise young players in their first or second years, all of a sudden, because they had a year with veterans, veteran superstars like Kyrie Irving and Al Horford, by the time the playoffs hit, they were ready and and ready to show out and not just be a contributor. So in that sense, all of a sudden, I'm more excited about the team. Look, we don't have Paul George. We don't have the superstar sidekick B. But as you mentioned, this could be the opening that we need for Brandon Ingram to step into that role, Kyle Kuzma to step into that role. And then all of a sudden, we approximate what the Boston Celtics did, except in the playoffs, the Celtics didn't even have Kyrie Irving, but somehow, and I know it's the Eastern Conference, but they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, except instead of Al Horford as your veteran, you have LeBron James. So in that sense, who knows what happened? So I don't know if you wanted to add to that. I do, I do. And, And I think these are all very valid points. And I think a big point of this needs to be made to, this is a huge reason why a lot of Laker fans didn't want LeBron. They were like, oh, you know, we we spent the last five years suffering so we could get these good picks. And we were, I mean, some people, including us at times, we, we not necessarily, I won't, I won't use the word rooting, but we were hoping that the team could perhaps lose so that it would increase our odds of getting better picks. And it, it's, there's like a little bit of a, I can see why a fan would think, I sat through all this nonsense. I watched these guys develop. I want to see it through now. Well, guess what? LeBron, by signing a four-year contract, has gifted us the ability to have our cake and eat it too. We get kind of the best of both worlds. We get LeBron James, who is going to make our team relevant, make guys want to come here, make make us not the laughing stock of the NBA, restore a certain level of prestige to our franchise which will help us now, like in the next four years and also beyond to get that type of guy, but have him also sign a four-year deal and multiple times is now made very clear and very public 
You don't have to trade anybody. You know, we'll see how things go. So we get to have the best. We get to develop our young guys. We get to uh, the opportunity to see was Kyle Kuzma just a good scorer because there was nobody else on the team to score, or is he a playoff contributor like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? Mm-hmm. You know, was Brandon Ingram just a guy who's you know slow to develop and maybe he won't quite ever get there, or is he a guy that just needed that little bit of boost to like take the pressure off and for him to really show out? You know what I mean? It's like I was I brought up the Jordan Clark, uh, Farmer. Uh, I can't remember earlier now if I said Jordan Clarkson or Jordan Farmer. When I was you talking said about, Farmer, you said okay, Farmer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh god. But the uh, the Jordan Farmer thing, and I said Kenny Smith was on TNT saying Jordan Farmer is a starting point guard in the starting uh, caliber point guard in the NBA. Guess what? Jordan Farmer eventually, as we recall, was not on the Lakers at one point, and he was in fact not an NBA caliber point guard, and he could never stick in the league after he left the Lakers. What we forget as the reason I bring that up is what we forget as Laker fans is we haven't had a great player on our team for so long, literally since what 2012. I mean, until the moment Kobe tore his Achilles. Because of that, we kind of forget that although Kobe was criticized his entire career for not necessarily making his teammates better. Some guys are so good that it just takes the pressure off. You know, you bring up Al Horford. Al Horford has never been a number one, a you know, a option. Feed him the ball. He's the guy. He's going to lead you to the championship. But just because he's an all-star and just because he's a cool player and he's calm and he doesn't get nervous under pressure and he's seen it all and he's done it all, those other guys are able to feed off of that. And now we're having, we're adding a guy to our team who has literally been to the finals nine times in a row. He's seen everything there is to see. He's done everything there is to do in the league. And these guys can just build off that. And some people, you know, thought, oh, well, LeBron's going to come trade everybody away. LeBron's going to come, uh, take away everybody's touches. LeBron is going to make these guys, you know, if, if, People are on Twitter right now saying the Lakers are dumb. They should offer Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and two first-round picks for Kawhi. If things go how I think they might go, then by February, people are going to be saying, oh, God, the Lakers really, they, at, at most, they should give up Josh Hart and some picks. <laughs> you know, yeah. if they're trying to get Kawhi Leonard. You know, the same way they'll talk about our core, the same way they're talking about the Boston core. Because... Teams that get in the, you know, maybe deservingly so, but teams that are in the spotlight and are playing in meaningful games, those players are going to have more perceived value than guys who are just putting up stats on on teams that aren't doing anything, you know? Yeah. And I think that's where the reframing has to come because I naturally, just by default, discounted the contributions that a Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, uh, Kyle Kuzma would have on a LeBron James-led team because I haven't, for myself, seen them do things in playoff situations, right? But just like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, well, nobody knew what they could do in playoff situations either until it actually happened, right? So as Lakers fans, you just have to undergo a reframing of things so that... Because the, the media likes to frame it as it's LeBron James, Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevens, and, and JaVale McGee because those right. would presumably be the guys who don't fall under pressure when the playoffs come. But who's to, why, why isn't it LeBron James, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball in the playoffs in crucial minutes? And I think it's just because we're so not used to it yet. It hasn't hit us yet that we're not sure for ourselves whether these guys are just putting up counting stats on a bad team, Yeah, even though obviously we won 35, 35 games last year and that was a huge improvement. But until we've seen it, 
we're not going to put them in that same category as guys who can immediately contribute and not get the hiccups in playoff games, playoff situations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the good thing is we have a whole year with LeBron James to help their development come along so that by the time the playoffs happen, who knows what these guys could do? Maybe they could strike, you know, they could hit lightning in a bottle the way that Donovan Mitchell, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, all these young guys all of a sudden started doing uh, this past playoffs just because they got the opportunity to do so. So, uh, so yeah, my last word on that is just, I think as Lakers fans, if you found yourself saying, oh my God, Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee, KCP, in a sense, you're just like hand-wringing over guys who probably won't be getting the majority of the minutes anyways. And if they are, then something's gone terribly wrong. And yes, we, pro- we should probably panic at this point. <laughs> if they, and maybe if, you need yeah. to ship off the young guys. I yeah, know. 100%. I was just about to say, if they are, then that means it's time to make a trade. <laughs> exactly. So we're still good. Obviously, yes, we'd love to have Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. Would we have loved to make different signings that kind of on paper make more sense? Like Tyreek Evans, Brooke Lopez would have been cool, DeMarcus Cousins. All those things would have been cool, but... But we didn't make those signings. LeBron James co-signed on all this stuff. And we're still good. And at the very least, we actually got what we wanted in a roundabout way in terms of, all right, young guys, show us your stuff. Well, and guess what? And and, and we fell into this trap too, I think, in the beginning um, to a certain extent. And it's an easy trap to fall into. Oh, well, why didn't the Lakers get Tyreek Evans? There were multiple reports from various reporters that the Lakers met with Tyreek Evans. However, players come into these meetings with questions too. And Tyreek is coming into this meeting wanting some sort of commitment of like, am I going to play here? Mm-hmm. And when you're, if anything, all of these, the fact that we signed guys on a team that has LeBron James and theoretically dudes would be lining up to play on this kind of team. And they probably were. But if anything, this suggests to me that management was telling people, Hey, Tyreek Evans, like, guess what? Like we have Lonzo ball. We have Brandon Ingram. You know, we have Josh Hart off the bench. Like, those are the positions you would get your minutes at. And FYI, that's the situation. Not, oh, don't worry. We have LeBron James. We're trying to win now. So we'll sign you. You know, people made a lot of the Rondo, a lot of out of the Rondo, like, oh, we're trying to win now. So that's why we're signing Rondo. I think it's very, very clear given the reports that have come out since then that that was leaked intentionally by the Lakers as a as a way and probably by Magic Johnson himself as a way to try to like light a little bit of a fire under Lonzo mm-hmm. not to say hey guess what you know remember last year when Tyler you were looking over, over over your shoulder and all you saw were Tyler Ennis and Alex Caruso now there's going to be an NBA champion you know all-star you know maybe he's not an all-star anymore but nobody would dispute he's one of the best passers in the NBA still and that guy's, and he's not a bad defender. And that guy's standing right behind you. But guess what? Rondo said himself, I am here to be Lonzo's mentor. And he said, I do not care about starting, you know, or er, er coming off the bench. And, you know, it, it, it just feels to me like that that's how they went into this situation. So when you go into this situation telling guys, we can't promise you minutes, we can't promise that you'll have a significant role, we can't promise that you'll start you're narrowing yourself down to a somewhat limited population because the worst thing a guy can do on a one-year deal, unless you're JaVale McGee or Lance Stevenson or Rajon Rondo, where you don't have much of a market anyway, the worst thing you could do is put yourself in a situation where things don't go as you intended. You don't play as much. Your stats don't look as good. And next year you're looking for your big deal. And there's nothing there because you played for the Lakers and you average eight points a game, you know? So. So you have to factor those kinds of 
that kind of mentality into these signings as well, which I think often gets overlooked. Hey, this is Brian from the Almighty Baller Podcast Network here to talk about keeps. So there's just no two ways to say it. Losing hair is awful. Nobody wants to go through it. And two out of three guys are going to experience hair loss by the time they're 35. This is the world we live in, people. Now, I personally haven't started this you know, downturn, but I got a couple of people close to my life that go through it. And they always say, should have started it sooner rather than later. So anyways, these FDA-approved products used to cost so much, but now, thanks to Keeps, they're finally inexpensive and easy to get. For five minutes, now and starting just $10 per month, you'll never have to worry about hair loss again. So they've ironed out the process. Basically, you just take a photo of your hair and you shoot it over and a licensed physician will review the information and recommend the right treatment to you and then, boom, shipped right to your door every three months. So Keeps is only $10 to $35 a month. Uh, plus, now you can get your first month free uh, to, to what? To keep your hair. So come on. What are we talking about here? To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com slash almighty. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash almighty. That's a free month of treatment at keeps.com slash almighty. Keeps hair today, hair tomorrow. Yeah, so let's talk about those signings since we uh, you you've mentioned it throughout the show a little bit, but in in totality, if you're looking at it from a bird's eye view, what kind of roster are they trying to shape here? Obviously, we've talked ad nauseum about the fact that where the shooter is. Why was Lance Stevenson one of the first signings after KCP? Um, he doesn't provide the high basketball IQ that they say they've been looking for. Rajon Rondo at least does that. Um, his personality and characteristics are weird and doesn't seem to fit the culture of our team why does he get the room mid-level exception of four million dollars um i guess what are your overall thoughts on what they're trying to build here and obviously we don't have a center right now because we thought brooke lopez was in the bag he wanted to come can you make any sense right now of of what happened there do you think that this is uh what's the next shoe to drop type of deal you know, I outlined it on Twitter that these are the moves that the Lakers did and these are the guys they passed up on. And it just seems weird that all of this happened after they had already signed Lance Stevenson, KCP, and Rajon Rondo and JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee and Lance Stevenson haven't signed yet, by the way, because they're waiting on the Lakers to use up the rest of their $5.5 million in cap space in order to avail of those exceptions. But anyways, so these are the moves that the Lakers did or didn't do. The Lakers, you know, waived Thomas Bryant. They renounced Julius Randle. They passed on DeMarcus Cousins for about the same amount of money. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins wanted to come to the Lakers, and the Lakers even put out something that said, we're still very intrigued by DeMarcus Cousins. We really like his game, but we wanted somebody that could contribute immediately, and we, can't, we, can't, we don't have the luxury of waiting for him come February. So then after that, naturally, we thought, okay, Brooke Lopez it is, and then all of a sudden... We passed on Brooke Lopez, or who knows what really happened in that scenario, but Brooke Lopez ended up taking $3 million with the Milwaukee Bucks. And no new additions happened. So in your sense, with the Lakers still having $5.5 million in cap space to use and the ability to also potentially stretch Luau Deng and gain $10 million, do you think that the Lakers are just prepping the way for a potential trade, whether that be Kawhi Leonard or another superstar like Damian Lillard? Do you think that there's an unexpected signing that they're waiting on? Maybe a waiver claim? Um, I know there are s- several restricted free agents still that are looking for offer sheets from 
other teams, which is there's not a lot out there, or their own teams right now, and they're unhappy with the offers they've been getting from their respective home teams. And last year, if you remember, it kind of felt like we were in the same holding pattern, but the stakes were obviously much, much lower. And and the stakes are lower in the sense that we already have LeBron James, but last year we were in the same place of like, well, what are we going to do? We still have all this cap space, and then at the last minute, Detroit renounced KCP. He became an unrestricted free agent, and the Lakers signed him to one year, $19 million, and helped usher the way to LeBron. So in your sense, can you make sense of all of the moves that the Lakers did to get to this place of like, okay, well, what are we doing with that $5 million? Why hasn't Svi signed his contract yet? Lance Stevenson and JaVale McGee are still waiting in the wings. Are we really going to do something with that $5 million, or are we just waiting till a certain date, maybe in August, and then once we see that, all right, Spurs don't want to play ball, all right, then we'll make our last signing, or or we'll just wait to see if any restricted free agent becomes an unrestricted free agent between now and August. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on, on what the Lakers have, have done thus far and just the confusion, I guess the confusion that many Lakers fans have in terms of why would they why would they wave Thomas Bryant and keep Zubats if they weren't then going to ship Zubats off uh, in a potential deal to either get rid of Dang or get a Kawhi Leonard? And why'd they pass on Randall? Why'd they pass on DeMarcus Cousins? Why'd they pass on Brooke Lopez if they said they wanted to win immediately? Yeah, I guess what are you, what's your overall sense of what happened here or what's what's going on? And are you are you kind of just giving them the benefit of the doubt till you see what the roster is come training camp? I'm 100% giving them the benefit of the doubt because, and not to say that these two things are necessarily related because I think it's two different groups that, that uh, you know, we have a separate group for NBA scouts versus our college and international scouts. They're all separate teams, right? All that being said, it's overseen by the same person or same two people, Magic Johnson and uh, Rob Palenka. And I have been so wrong about so many things they've done so far. Mo Wagner, my initial reaction was, what the, what the heck is this? <laughs> you know what I mean? What happened to your versatility? And then I, it's like you watch some video on him and it's like, oh, okay, I see that. You know, Kyle mm-hmm. Kuzma, wait, why did we draft a back-to-the-basket power forward when we already have Larry Nance and, and, and Julius Randle on our team? Oh, okay, I see what you were doing there now. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm definitely going to give them benefit of the doubt. And I think when you give them benefit of the doubt, which look, not necessarily, if you don't want to give it to them, I get it. That's, you know, it's not, they haven't necessarily proven themselves yet because we haven't won anything. But to give that, if you give them some benefit of the doubt, things start to make a lot more sense. Okay. We signed JaVale McGee because we needed a veteran center. JaVale McGee is a better, unobject, like just objectively a better, um, defender overall inside and perimeter than Robin Lope or sorry, Brooke Lopez. I already forgot which Lopez we had. <laughs> um, you know, there were talks when we were, uh, when we were in the draft that part of the reason the Lakers were linked to that, um, forgetting his name, I think Robert Williams, the guy that the Celtics drafted. Yeah. Part of the reason we were linked to that guy was because a lot of reports were saying the Lakers are looking for a center who could play above the rim. Oh, you mean Mitchell Robinson? I know it gets confusing, but he's with the Knicks. Mitchell Robinson, but also that uh, the Celtics guy is a center also, oh, okay. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, we were linked to him in the first round, potentially, because he could play above the rim. And JaVale McGee kind of fills that hole. Okay, so now you have JaVale McGee, you have your veteran center who's tough, who's been to the finals twice, who's been in the playoffs many more times than that, even. Um, and you have that guy. So you're, like you said, well, then why wave Thomas Bryant? 
look, you, you have JaVale McGee, you drafted Mo Wagner who can play some five. It really comes down then at that point to choosing between Thomas Bryant and Avica Zubats. I'm not necessarily sure exactly. I mean, I'm not exactly sure why they chose Zubats over Thomas Bryant. I'm not going to say it's a completely indefensible position, though. You know, Zubats has been in the NBA for two years. Okay, two versus one. That's still a big difference. You know, for a team that thinks that we might be in the playoffs this year, maybe having a guy like Zubats brings more value than a guy who has played, what, Thomas Bryant appeared in like less than 10. I don't even know how many. Yeah. It felt like less than 10 games for us last year. So although he's D-League first team and D-League all-star and, you know, had a great season, and I think he's going to be a great prospect. He can shoot the three. He's got crazy long arms. He seems like he could run the floor. In terms of right now, perhaps it's more def- it's it's more reasonable to take a guy like Zubats, whose game's a little bit maybe he has a lower upside, but his game is more polished. Um, his defense, despite how slow he looks at times, his defense is actually much farther along, I think, than Thomas Bryant because Thomas Bryant gets a lot of shot blocks because he has a seven six wingspan. But his biggest knock um, from the beginning has always been he's not a good. Defender And, like, we kind of saw that when he would appear in NBA games. He kind of looked like a, you know, frantic deer out there, just, like, jumping all over the court, fouling everybody every play. Like, he, he he's less refined in that sense. And the third reason, if Zubats plays out next season with the Lakers, which it appears like he will, we will have his full bird rights because he will have played three full years for us. Whereas Thomas Bryant, you might find yourself in a weird, you know, he, he would be a free agent next summer. We, he'd only played for us for two years. I'm not exact. I'm not going to get into the salary cap details because I frankly don't know, but I know that there's a benefit to having a full bird rights versus early bird rights. So these are all factors. And then you ask, okay, well, why did they need, you know, why stop at three centers like Mo Wagner can play some four? I thought we're all about versatility. I think the plan, based on the fact that they passed on Brooke Lopez, based on the fact that they cut Thomas Bryant, and based on the fact that they let Julius Randle walk, is a very clear indication that they're planning to play LeBron James at the center. I'm not saying they're going to start him at the center. They're definitely not going to start him at the center. But they're going to, I think they're going to play him at the center at least as much as they, uh, at least as much as the Warriors play Draymond there, mm-hmm. at least if probably more than because the at, at least if not more than the Rockets play PJ Tucker there, yeah. And the Rockets have like Clint Capella, and they still go with Tucker at the center sometimes. So I think it's not unreasonable that LeBron plays sixteen ish minutes a game at the five. You know well, what I mean? Definitely going to close the games at the five, and I think there could be stretches. You know. When uh, they make their first substitutions in the first quarter, maybe when they make their first substitutions in the third quarter, I think there are going to be small chunks of time there where we go LeBron five. And then I think almost every game pending matchups, we close the games, you know, last six, seven minutes, eight minutes with LeBron at the five. So, you know, those minutes add up, maybe not 16, but like, you know, somewhere in the 10 to 15-ish range, depending on matchups. And so once you start thinking about that, it's like, okay, great. Now there's only like 30-ish minutes, 33 minutes left at the five spot. Okay, well, your starting center is going to get some of those. So JaVale, let's say JaVale only takes 16, 17 of those. That's half, you know? So then it's like the remaining minutes get split. And then suddenly it starts to appear clear, like, okay, if they're planning to play LeBron at the five, where does Randall get his minutes? 
Because Randall was the only reason, not the only reason, but the, one of the main reasons Randall had value to us was because you could play him at the small ball five. But if LeBron is taking those minutes now, you know, you don't need two small ball fives. Yeah. You, you need one small ball five, and then you need other fives who do other things, like match up. Like Mo Wagner can hit threes, JaVale McGee can match up, Ivica Zubats can match up if you're going against sides. You know, but you, what, what's the point of having LeBron James and Randall? You know, and, and then when you're going to this meeting, like we had a meeting with Randall, and then we renounced him right after the meeting. Because in the meeting, the reports that came out, out of that meeting were we told Randall he would have a quote unquote diminished role this year. And so he said, rather than take the diminished role, I'd rather go to a team that can actually use me. So uh, he's looking for next year because next year is going to be his big contract year. If I'm Julius Randle and I'm looking at this roster, I'm thinking, okay, you guys already played me like 28 minutes a game last year, barely. <laughs> and there were stretches where I was, you know, playing 18, 19 minutes a game. If I don't even feel confident that I'm going to play more than 20 minutes a game this year like just 20 flat, why would I possibly come back here? And I think that's sort of the message we were giving him. And I think once you view it from that angle, it kind of puts everything into perspective. So then it, you know, today there were reports we're going after or looking at Mute before he signed with the Clippers. So when we're looking at Mute, it's like, okay, well, why now why are they looking at a four? Well, if you're thinking LeBron's getting a lot of his minutes or going to get a decent amount of minutes at the five, Kuzma's going to take the back of minutes of the four. That means LeBron and Kuzma are only fours. We actually kind of need somebody with a little four depth. You know, it's like everything starts to like a, a make a little bit more sense, at least in my opinion, when you view it through that lens. Yeah, I agree. And then on top of it is, well, we there's still like one, at least one roster move left, right? So we don't know what that, last roster spot is going to be i mean at the end of the day i don't think it's going to be a center of consequence even if we fill that center slot up i know a lot of people like we need a center we need a center and like you said you know javel can go out there and in a pinch start and get 20 to 22 minutes and maybe part of the reason why he signed with us was because he'd get an expanded role even though expanded probably just means he's getting what he averaged like 10 minutes with the warriors maybe he's getting 10 extra minutes you know javel maybe can do that um but obviously, I think what allows me to get on board with it and embrace it is the fact that LeBron probably co-signed on this idea in the event that they don't get another center, that LeBron James is okay with playing 10 minutes at the five. And I know the last couple of years, people may be skeptical at that decision because they're like, LeBron James is already skeptical of playing the four. Why would he want to take a beating playing at the five against Joel Embiid and Carl Towns and all those type dudes? But maybe the Lakers in the last year, a lot has changed in the last year and a half. And they were like, well, look what Draymond Green's doing with the Warriors. Do you think you can do that for 10 minutes? Maybe LeBron James said yes. I don't know. And if he did and he co-signed on all of this, then yeah, I'm fully ready to embrace this. I just hope it doesn't take a toll on his body. Again, we still don't know what their last move is. And so... You know, my last question pertaining to free agency would be the Lakers have five million left, five point five million left in cap space to use. Like I said, they have Luau Dang to either stretch or trade. What would you like to see them do at this point? Mba Mute was linked to the Lakers, but he's going back to the Clippers for their room mid level. Wayne Ellington is still out there. I don't know 
what minutes he's going to get, especially for factoring Zvi into the equation here. Um, but maybe you just let you just get you grain talent in and let them all hash it out during training camp. And Wayne Ellington is probably one of the objectively one of the best free agents out there. If you're just looking at a guy who can defend and shoot the lights out, he was in the three point contest this past year for shooting career highs and percentages from three point land. And then outside of that, maybe they just bring back Channing Fry, who's familiar with LeBron James and can stretch the floor and is comfortable playing center, even though he's slight of frame or he's been slight of frame his entire career. So there are guys like Channing Fry, Alan Williams from the Suns. He's an intriguing prospect, but he's also young. I don't know if they go there. There's Jaleel Okafor, <laughs> Alex Len, who we've always called like a stiff. The most interesting free agents are the restricted ones in terms of Clint Capella, Jabari Parker, Marcus Smart, who's presumably going to be getting an offer sheet from the Sacramento Kings. Um, And then Montrezl Harrell. Out of those guys, I think Harrell may be the most gettable in terms of the Clippers have made their signings. They're probably going to want to preserve some cap space for 2019. So they have the rights to Harrell. But if Harrell doesn't want to come back, if he somehow feels offended, then we could see the same thing playing out with him as as what happened with KCP and what we did with Julius Randle as well, where we just renounced him. And maybe Harrell becomes a unrestricted free agent and the Lakers all of a sudden have access to a very athletic, defensive-minded, hustle-type hustle dude who last year with the Clippers averaged like 11 points and 7 rebounds in very limited minutes and uh, was, was kind of like a really good grid and grind kind of glue guy. So maybe the Lakers luck out in that respect. But I guess for you, what would you like to see them do with the remaining 5.5 million? Do you think that if somehow one of these restricted free agents becomes available, that the Lakers should take a swing on them? Outside of Harold, if somehow Jabari Parker gets let loose by the Bucks, I feel like that would be such an intriguing swing for the Lakers to take, especially if we're talking about small ball and LeBron James playing the five. And just having another guy in Jabari Parker who, if he's willing to fit into that type of reduced role, he could become what Julius Randle was to us because he's improved his three-point shooting the last year or so. Obviously, the main question with him is just his health. But yeah, I guess where are you in terms of the Lakers' last one or two moves with regards to signings or potential trades and, and whatnot? It's a very good question because it really could go a number of ways. And frankly, no, none of the ways that it could go, it would surprise me. I think, you know, earlier in the, in the show, we were talking about KCP and how that all panned out last year. I think when the Lakers are looking at the list of remaining free agents, particularly the unrestricted free agents, there's nobody on that list that really pops out as somebody who you're like, okay, that would be a bummer to miss out on that person. In that circumstance, why not just wait and see? Maybe somebody will emerge, you know, who, like Jabari Parker, ends up in a KCP situation where the Bucks are like, look, we have Giannis, we are about to give him the Supermax in like a couple years, or maybe even sooner than that, I don't know, but they're going to give him the Supermax. They've got other, they signed Chris Middleton to a giant contract. They've got other guys on some pretty ridiculous deals, and Jabari Parker hasn't been able to stay on the floor maybe they're not able to work something out with him and they end up having to do what we did with Randall, which is like basically sit down and say, okay, look, there was nothing you can do. You seem unhappy here. We have to renounce you. All that being said, am I banking on something like that? Not necessarily because it gets back to my role discussion. Are we going to tell Jabari Parker, we promise you minutes ahead of Brandon Ingram. We promise you minutes ahead of Kyle Kuzma. We, we promise you minutes ahead of guys who we think are going to be here longer. No, no, So then it's up to Jabari Parker to say, 
despite the lack of a promise, do I think it's worth it for me to roll the dice on this team where I could end up finishing the season playing 70, sorry, 82 games and averaging 15, 18 minutes a game? Or I could end up, you know, the season could end and I played 60 games and I averaged, you know, 8 to 10 minutes a game. And for a young guy, or especially like Jabari Parker, those are kind of like the expectations you have to think about. You think about it from his perspective. I don't know necessarily that that's the type of move that makes sense for him. So I think when stuff like that happens, like we have no obvious gaps. So if something like that happens and, and you know, none of the guys who are left want to take that space because we can't promise them minutes and they're not okay with that, we could very easily just use the spot. I'm like an end of the bench glue glue guy type of person, you know, and, and that would be fine with me too. I'm sure we'll get heavily chastised for it <laughs> because, you know, it's like, it, because it's like, oh, here the Lakers were able to sign LeBron, but they can't even fill out the roster. Well, look at who's, a, who's available, you know what I mean? And, and who would be willing to take this type of role on, on this type of team. So I, I honestly don't have any idea. I think it's a good question. And like you said, could it be a trade? Could it be a free agent? I think that's the point. And that's the point of how Palenka and Magic are building this team. They have all their options. Yeah, I agree. And I know we're not prepared for the Michael Beasley show, but I some solid guys who I think would accept a reduced role as a role player would be guys like Trevor Booker, who he's not a great three-point shooter, but over the last couple of years, he has extended his range out to the three-point land and is willing to actually shoot it a little bit. With Brooklyn, he hit like half a three a game in 2016-17 season, shooting 32%. Um, His percentages from there haven't been great, but, you know, he is a type of guy who can at least rebound, hustle out there, play make a little bit. You know, he averaged two assists with Brooklyn last year in 18 games. But he is that type of guy who, you know, we were look. We were going after guys like Amir Johnson, and Trevor Book is pretty much just that type of guy. He's not as good as Amir Johnson, but he would be a secondary poor man's Amir Johnson if you're looking at guys like that who can just fill out the end of your bench and provide some additional leadership. Um, and Greg Monroe, everybody knows how skilled Greg Monroe is. He doesn't help on defense, that's for sure. But if you just need a guy who, in a pinch, can play make, rebound the ball, and score a little in the post if LeBron's tired, well, there's Greg Monroe for you. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Patrick McCaw. Obviously, he's had to deal with injuries and whatnot. We're not sure how he's coming back. But even if if the Lakers go super left field and just get a Patrick McCaw for the upside, and I don't know how they would do it if he gets... He's a restricted free agent, but he could easily get renounced by the Warriors. But that would be an interesting play. But yeah, I agree with you. I think at the end of the day, the Lakers have left their options open, and maybe they have a soft deadline for themselves in terms of we're going to keep this 5 million cap space open till mid-August and if no trades materialize because because that 5 million does help them facilitate a trade much easier than if that space was already occupied because then you're dealing with when can we trade these first year deal or these one year deal players it's not going to be till December they already have to wait on on Mo Wagner because they signed him till I think a month from now right or 20 to 30 days from now before they can trade him so leaving that 5 million dollars open does help facilitate a trade a lot easier especially a Kawhi trade let's say Kyle Kuzma is going out in a Kawhi trade 
Well, Kyle Kuzma's only making like a million bucks, and he, even if you're adding Josh Hart, if he didn't have that $5 million, it would be Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, making $3 million, plus the 10 from Luau Deng, and then you have to make up $5 million on top of that just to get close to Kawhi's, you know, salary. So having said that, yeah, they've kept even that trade option open should something arise between now and, and training camp. Um, but at the end of the day, I expect them to just make sort of uh, supplementary moves on the edges as opposed to like another big splash but who knows last year KCP happened could something like that happen in the form of Jabari Parker or Rodney Hood randomly getting renounced who knows it, it might but uh all that to say is our this entire episode has been look we're in a good spot right now we're gonna ride LeBron James back uh, it's him against the world. It's us against the world still somehow. And we can take pleasure and solace in that. We have a very rootable team because so much people are, so many people are giving us crap just a day after we signed the best player in the world. This is Mike from the Almighty Baller Network. It's nice to have a helping hand, especially when it's tax season and that hand is attached to a licensed tax professional. With TurboTax Live, you can talk to real CPAs and EAs on demand who can review your return with you before you file and to make sure you get your maximum refund. They can even check your work line by line so you can be confident it's done right. Who knew confidence and peace of mind could be synonymous with taxes? TurboTax Live with CPAs and EAs on demand. See details at TurboTax.com. Let TurboTax Live be your helping hand. Visit TurboTax.com today. So with that said, what will help with all of that, Tommy, and to close our show is just how good our young guys are looking. And I'm not even talking about the main young core. I'm talking about the first round picks that we got, second round picks that we got in Mo Wagner, Svi Mikhailu, Isaac Banga. He's three years away from being five years away, but he's showing some flashes, I guess. Uh, but more specifically, Josh Hart has been playing every single game in Summer League and has looked, he, he's, he's looked like a veteran and he, he looks like he doesn't belong there. But I guess what are your thoughts so far um, from Summer League regarding some of our young guys. And, and we can start with, really quickly, just just Josh Hart and how he's progressed into like a 40% three-point shooter. We thought that it was kind of a fluke to end the year because he was never really known as a knockdown three-point shooter. And then he ended the season, the last 20 games of the season, pretty much averaging 43% from three. And now in Summer League, he's pretty much shooting 45% from three as well, you know, averaging 20 points and three assists and four rebounds. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on, on Josh Hart and his ability to maybe even make it a competition with KCP for that starting lineup? I think Josh Hart definitely could make it a competition. I thought he looked so solid to close the season last year. Um, defensively, which is funny because he's known for defense, right, from Villanova, he was even known for that. But defensively, he actually needs quite a bit of work. Um, he seems like he's improved a little bit, but he is out of position a lot. And I think that's where KCP will, at least for one more year, which is all we have him for, uh, probably stay on the court longer than Hart can. But in terms of hitting threes, man, I mean, like Josh Hart was hitting threes in Villanova too. He wasn't hitting them like, I don't know that any, you know, you could mark him down as a for sure thing, 40% three point shooter in the NBA, but he was a four year player at Villanova. He shot 39% over his four years, and that included, he, you know, as a freshman, he shot 31%. So 39% over four years, shooting 31 for a full year is, like, pretty good. And, and and Josh Hart is just, like, another one of these guys who we drafted. He has the right attitude. We brought him up in this culture. Josh Hart could be our future starting shooting guard. I think that that's, like, again, you know, to tie it back to the beginning part where we were talking about LeBron, that's, like, where... Le- 
LeBron is going to show us who is real and who is fake here. You know what I mean? If you can't play with LeBron, then we probably don't want you on our team because LeBron pretty much epitomizes what we're trying to build in terms of being a team player and moving the ball. You know, he, yeah, people love to focus on the past year, LeBron. The past year, LeBron was playing with like Kevin Love was injured half the season and he was playing with a gang of misfits. Isaiah Thomas was injured half the season. You know, it was, it was the lineups were frequently LeBron, Tristan Thompson, who literally cannot do anything with the ball, and then three shooters like Kyle Korver, one of the best shooters of all time. But guess what? If you pass that guy the ball and he doesn't have a shot, he's going to pass it right back to you. You know what I mean? He has like, there's nothing he can really do. J.R. Smith, not known for his, you know, uh, skills with the ball. Um, it, just guys like that. You know, George Hill, who's historically been a guy who needs to like kind of pound the ball and, and, and create plays on his own. Um, We've surrounded LeBron with a bunch of low usage guys, including Rondo, actually. And, and so Josh Hart is like one of those types of guys. And if the season starts and Josh Hart isn't able to coexist on this team we're able to build, uh, trying to build, that's a good indication that maybe he needs to, to get out of here. But so far, all indications are, have been that this was another hit by the Lakers. You, are normally just hoping for any type of NBA caliber player when you're picking with the last pick in the first round or near the last, I can't remember now if he was 30 or what number he was, but 30. Yep. Yeah. So you're picking the last pick in the first round. You're just praying for any remotely NBA caliber player. And by everything I've seen to close last season and this so far early in summer league, Josh Hart's looking like more than just an NBA player. He's looking like a guy who could legitimately be a starter on, you know, a solid team. And if his three-point shot is true and it is real and his defense continues to progress and he becomes better at, you know, not falling asleep and staying in position and moving his feet, he could become like a hybrid version of Wesley Matthews, but the one that has can actually drive the ball because the one thing that you've seen from Summer League that's carried through from the regular season is somehow he's gotten better at even finishing at the basket, you know, taking it to the rim. And his his body is so solidly built that nothing can affect him. And he's getting all these and ones as a result of it. And, and the way that Josh Hart pro- has progressed in terms of being able to find his own shot and looking way more fluid with the ball in his hands and dribbling the ball, driving into the lane, he just looks so much more fluid and obviously more confident because it is his second year. But yeah, he he is becoming a revelation, and if if all of this sticks—the shooting, the defense—he could end up playing that Wesley Matthews type role as a starting caliber type shooting guard. Um, with that said, another guy who I think can, can really contribute right off the bat, even as a rookie, is Svi Mikhailu, who I like to call copy and paste because I have to continually copy and paste his name from Google or somewhere else and then put right. it in a Twitter box. But also, you can copy and paste the fact that if he's open for three, he's going to hit it. And you're going to hear a lot of Svi Mikhailu, open for three, bang. You know, so Svi Mikhailu, I mean, we've seen good shooters before, guys who can knock down open shots and whatnot. We've been talking about Kevin Herter for so long. We were bummed that we missed out on him. But Svi Mikhailu has hit almost every open shot that he's taken, and it's been so pure, the way that the ball goes in, you know? And even the misses are, are pretty in line and I think most of all, though, he's shown the versatility that most knockdown shooters coming out of college don't necessarily have. And the, the talk around Zvi has always been he has, short, he has a short wingspan that caps his upside. But you've seen the activity, the motor, 
The fact that he shuffles his feet, was able to pick up full court Chandler Hutchinson when he gets mad that he missed a shot. Um, his rebounding ability, the way he skies for rebounds, quote-unquote sneaky athleticism, but the guy is just really athletic. The fact that he's six seven, I think all of this mitigates the fact that he has a short wingspan. The fact that he can handle the ball a little bit and he can hit these jump shots off the dribble is pretty amazing. The fact that he is athletic, can run the floor, can grab the rebound, push it himself, has pretty good playmaking vision. I don't know if necessarily he has shake and bake handles and whatnot, but the fact that he can just shoot a jump shot in a myriad of ways and not just hit an open shot down is encouraging to me that he can take a pull-up dribble, a one-dribble pull-up, and hit it cleanly is very encouraging, and it just seems like the guy knows where to be at all times. One thing that he'll have to work on is, you know, curling off screens. That's not something he did a lot in Kansas, but in the NBA, especially in Luke Walton's system, there's going to be a lot of back cuts, double down screens, and he's going to have to learn how to curl off those. But in terms of instinctually, he just seems like a guy who knows where, where to get his shots and where to find the ball handler so that they can see him, spot him, pass the ball to him, and then he can just knock down and drain a three. So, um, yeah, what have you thought about Zvi Mikhailu? I mentioned it on Twitter, too, that, you know, LeBron James is no foreigner to turning rookie players and somehow making them contributors right off the bat because he did have Booby Gibson who nobody knows who Booby Gibson is anymore because his NBA lifespan lasted about two or three years because when he was with LeBron, he was a legit NBA player. And in the NBA Finals, he was knocking down threes. So could V end up being like the next Booby Gibson if the other guys don't pan out and KCP is too erratic with his shot? Like, I could definitely see that happening. Uh, he could be Sasha Pavlovich, Seti Osman, all these guys, Mario Chalmers, all these guys that LeBron James even in their very early careers, was able to turn into a contributor because they found themselves wide open because all of the defense was honed in on LeBron James. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on, on Zvi Mikhailu? And, and what are your have, have your has your perception of him changed, even in terms of guys that you'd comp him with or the template that you're using for him? I think absolutely it's changed. I think a big thing with Zvi was he came, we drafted him, and I had heard the name before because people said, oh, he had a great workout and... Uh, this is the guy the Lakers are interested in the second round, and he was mocked, you know, around where we were um, going to be picking in the second round. So he was a guy that I was aware of before the NBA draft, but I didn't know exactly what kind of player he was. And this gets back to the front office's vision, which they keep talking about, which is we're in a way we're and not to say again, not to say any of this is going to work, but what we it appears that we're trying to do is move beyond the quote unquote role player. You know that Bruce Bowen famously made three and D famous right for the Spurs. Like he shot threes from the corner and he played defense mm -hmm. and that's all he did. God help you. If you needed him to like dribble the ball up the floor, you know what I mean? He wasn't like going to do anything else for you. And it seems like what our, our strategy is, is let's move beyond the quote-unquote role player. When we drafted Mo Wagner, I'm like, okay, we drafted a stretch big. No, we did not draft a stretch big. Yes, he can shoot from outside, but he's so versatile and dynamic. If you pass that guy the ball and he is covered at the three-point line, his back is not immediately – it's not like Brooke Lopez or a lot of shooters who – big guy shooters who don't want to have the ball and they like immediately turn their back 
so that it doesn't get stripped and they're just trying to pass it away if they don't have a wide open shot. Mo is trying to make a play. Same thing with Sfi, and part of the reason why I've had to reassess my my comps on him and, and think about how he can actually be a, probably arguably a better contributor as a first-year player than Mo Wagner is because Sfi is not just, oh, he, he's a knockdown shooter. Sfi is beyond just being a knockdown shooter. Okay, yes, he's hitting his wide-open shots, but what we're what you also have to notice is Sfi has a knack for putting himself in the right position. If you watch him off the ball, whenever somebody has the ball, his head is constantly up looking at the ball and he's constantly in motion. Mm-hmm. Not just running around screens, which arguably if you follow Cranjus McBasketball on Twitter, Cranjus talks a lot about how Sfi hasn't yet been coached to use the screens to their full capacity yet so Mm -hmm. theoretically his game could improve but even beyond that you just watch this guy moving around the floor and it's like okay uh he is not just standing in quote-unquote his spot he's not just quote-unquote playing his role he is reading what every other player on offense is doing and positioning himself to be in the most open position to play to his strengths at all times and that's just basketball instincts you know what I mean? You, like, you can't necessarily teach that. And so that's, like, when I see Sfi, and again, you know, maybe Laker homers, I'm not going to say he's going to be as good as these guys. But the guys that I actually think of are guys like Peja Stojakovic. Maybe an easy comp because he's also foreign. You know what I mean? Another guy I think of, though, but this obviously, this sounds extreme, so I hope, I'm sure people out there will take this the wrong way, but I don't mean this the wrong way. Clay Thompson. When you watch Fee play, it feels like Clay Thompson. Like he catches the ball, he makes very efficient dribbles. You know, if he's covered at the three point line, boom, two of, pump fake, two efficient dribbles, pull up jump shot. And that's like very reminiscent of Clay. He's not a guy who's going to catch the ball and like hold it and, oh, I caught the ball. Oh, I'm not. All I can do is pump fake it and take one step to the left to shoot a three. And if, you know, if my feet aren't set, no, this guy has the ability to do so. He can, he, he can sprint down the floor, stop on a dime, catch the ball and shoot a three all in one motion, perfectly in balance. He can curl around a screen, catch the ball, and shoot a three. He can spot up, shoot a three. He can spot up, catch the ball, take go off the dribble all the way to the uh, basket and finish at the rim with his you know sneaky athleticism, if you want to call it that. <laughs> so, which I feel like is only sneaky because he's white, but, but whatever. But he, you know, he he can do a variety of things, and and that's why I think he's more like Sfi is 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 not just a role player not trying to say he's going to be a star in the NBA but to call him a role player almost puts his his uh, game too much in a box he can do so many things and I think for that reason or for those reasons he is in my opinion between the two rookies even more likely to crack the rotation than Wagner this year no no, definitely. I agree. And you mentioned Peja Stojakovic, but that's how Peja got his points as well. It's not like he was doing Kobe fadeaways and driving it into the lane. He literally would shoot a three, or if the defense closed on him, then he'd take two dribbles in and then shoot a jump shot, and everything was pure. And Svi Mikhailu's shot is so pure, and it's right in line all the time, and it doesn't matter whether his legs are flailing or he literally has to two-dribble step into it. He can hit it. And... Maybe his first year he becomes a role player for LeBron James because obviously he won't have the usage and all that to really explore his game. But at the very worst, this guy is is probably Marco Bellinelli as a rookie or Joe Harris as a rookie. 
making contributing plays for a playoff team and just hitting knockdown shots. And at, at that respect, he's only 21 years old, so who knows what his upside is if he continues to progress in his ball handling and his ability to create his own shot. But just having that, like you mentioned, intentional and deliberate dribbles, not nothing too fancy, just relying on his shot. I mean, you can just you can average 13 points easily just doing that, especially if you're as knocked down as he is. And everybody remembers Sasha Vujicic. There's no reason why Zvima Kailu can't be Sasha Vujicic on Sasha's best year as a Laker, which was 2007-2008, you know, where Sasha was just hitting every three and he was confident and cocky and he was annoying defenders by being pesky. And and right now, Zvi's more, more athletic than Sasha Vujicic, has more ball handling skills than Sasha, and obviously is probably more consistent a shooter as well. And... Right now, yeah, I'm very, very impressed with V. Um, really quickly to end this show, I don't want really want to talk about Isaac Bonga, so let's move to Mo Wagner. Um, what are your quick impressions on Mo? He has not shot the ball well, but he has shown off that versatility, and something that's stood out and kind of surprised most of us is just his steal and block rates. From college, we knew that this guy was active, but now it's starting to translate stats-wise in terms of this guy's racking up three steals, two block games like it's no one's business just because of how active he is on the court and how he's diving for loose balls, slapping balls away from defenders. In college, he only averaged, what, seven rebounds or so, but then you take into account how college game is played, semi-zone defense and all that stuff, but you see it on the court. This guy's motor doesn't quit. He's so active, and he's always going for the loose ball, and if he gets any... Str- I mean, the biggest thing he has to work on is strength, but if this guy gets any stronger, you couple that with his mentality and his activity and motor and relentlessness, and who knows what this guy could become, because right now you're seeing the versatility on both ends, not only offense, but defense as well. And the way that he's able to fluidly move from the three-point from the three-point arc all the way into the lane off his own dribble, find guys who are spot up, spotted up for three, and then shoot the ball from three. I mean, all that has to happen really is for him to get more um, comfortable and consistent with the NBA three-point line and just shooting his shot. Otherwise, he has a very soft touch. You see it in the lane. He has that Zubats-like touch when he just flips up shots and he gets those kind shooters bounce rolls from the basket and all that stuff. So I'm not really concerned with the field goal percentage at this point. I'm just more looking at the skill set. His jab steps are lethal and the way that he's able to put the ball on the floor after the jab step is pretty impressive. He's shown us some turnaround Dirk Nowitzki jump shots that he's been able to rain down on defenders. He's shown us his patented behind-the-back dribble you know, into a spin move and all that stuff. Does he get punked? Yes, he's going to get punked because he's not strong enough. He's not used to playing, facing guys like Marvin Bagley and guys who are going to be better than Marvin Bagley on the nightly. But right now, you just see flashes of what he can be if he just rounds his body into shape and form. So, yeah, what have you seen from Mo thus far? And and do you think this is why maybe the Lakers are comfortable not getting another quote-unquote starting caliber center? Yeah, Mo's been interesting because... So defensively, he's putting up the counting stats. And frankly, he has actually been playing better than I expected him to play defensively. Well, I'll say two things on that. One, quickly, is the Summer League refs are very bad. And Mo is fouling a lot under the rim. And some of these should be called, you know. And that kind of stuff is not going to happen. Number two is Mo is not strong. And he's getting punked by guys like Marvin Bagley, like just being tossed aside. You know, and and just wait until you get into the NBA. I, what I, I guess what I'm saying is defensively, I think, is where his issues are actually going to be more pronounced when the season actually starts. Mo is one of the best 
offensive players in college basketball year, particularly in offensive efficiency, his offense is going to be fine. I think maybe he's a little bit rusty now because these guys get shut down for long periods of time. Uh, he seems like he's not like in as good a shape as Fee is. Uh, he's a big man. You know, there, there are various factors at play here. So maybe, he, you know, he doesn't have his legs under him. He's adapting to the three point. There's a variety of factors here. I'm actually way less worried about his offense. Um, I think his defense, depending on matchups, could be the thing that keeps him off the floor for at least part, most of the beginning of the mm-hmm. year. And from there, we'll see. But like you said, I'm, I'm just excited generally because this guy is so versatile. This is this is an exciting an exciting piece. When you watch these games on ESPN, all the commentators just like are so obsessed with this guy, and they're like, the Lakers got a real piece in Mo Wagner, which is not something you you know. It's not like you're watching the Blazers and Anthony Simons is on there, and they're not saying, "Wow, Anthony Simons is going to stick." Anthony Simons could be a superstar for all we know, but. It's like Mo Wagner is having that much of an impact on the game that these guys just can't help but continue to bring him up. Yeah, and I think for both Mo and Svi, and maybe even Josh Hart, all these guys, their floors are so high. You know, we don't know what their ceilings will be, but just the fact that they're starting off with skill sets that you know is valuable and that any NBA team could use, you know, regardless of what era, really, but especially for this new era. And, And Mo Wagner, you know, the way that he moves on the court and... The activity with which he plays with, I, I said it on Twitter, but th- isn't he the type of player that people were talking uh, that people were talking up Dragon Bender to be? You know what I mean? Like uh, just a, a versatile six ten dude who can shoot from the outside and play make a little, exactly. but also shuffle his feet. But Dragon Bender to this point can't shoot for shit. <laughs> you know, he's very inconsistent. He can't really play make. He's not as fluid as people advertised him to be. Right. But now you're seeing Mo Wagner actually show flashes that to this day Dragon Bender still hasn't. And you can only imagine, well, yeah, if he just continues to round out his body, gain some strength and girth down there so he's not getting punked, you add that to his fluidity. And man, it's amazing. Like, Frank Aminsky is not as athletic as this guy. And I feel like maybe he's not as polished offensively as Frank Kaminsky and maybe not as good of a shooter, but it's close. And the, on top of it, the fact that he can play defense, he can block shots, which Frank Kaminsky can't do and run the floor. I mean, this guy is athletic. He's not like explosive athletic like a Mitchell Robinson, but the tomahawk jams he's been throwing down, obviously he's throwing them down in space with not a lot of defenders, but his wingspan looks pretty long. I know he only has a seven foot wingspan, but the way that he runs the floor, runs the court and throws down these jams, you couple that with just some physical training, some core strengthening and all that. And man, Mo Wagner could somehow even increase his athleticism and become even a more dynamic force on that end. And I'm just encouraged that he doesn't look slow at all. You know, I had some concerns that, Oh, I don't know. He looks fast for like a a center, but no, this guy just looks fast for, you know, a a five or a four. He's like catching dudes off dribble. who are falling asleep from the three point line. He's running the floor like a gazelle. Almost. He looks way faster and more athletic than guys. He's been comped to including Frank Kaminsky, Kelly Olenek, Dragon Bender, Memento Core. I heard the Memento Core comp, and I'm like, he's way more athletic than Memento Core. But on top of it, I think even without his strength right now, he has some legit post moves and footwork that already already translate. And you imagine if he's not getting punked, then he can actually utilize those more in the future. So really, really encouraged by Mo Wagner in spite of the fact that his shot hasn't come around yet, and maybe even his shot selection hasn't come around yet. But I said it on Twitter, but 
Mo Wagner is the player that people hoped Frank Kaminsky would be, or even a Zach Collins type. Zvi Mikhailu is the player that people thought Nick Stauskas was going to be. And Josh Hart, I don't know, he's, he's defying expectations to the point where, is this guy Wesley Matthews? Is he Gary Harris? Who knows? The future is bright. We got LeBron James. He's going to be doling out some Blaze Pizza at everybody, so everybody get lit at LeBron. Blaze Pizza. Uh, with that said, we have gone very long, but it's been fun to talk about the Lakers. Um, once again, please follow us on Twitter, at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please show us your support by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Also, patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast if you want to help us out with a dollar, two dollars, etc., etc. With that said, we'll cap it out here. It's been like almost an hour and a half at this point. Enjoy the LeBron celebration stuff. Get hyped for the rest of Summer League and the young guys. And hopefully we win and we go back to back. Uh, Summer League Championship and then we're on our way to uh, somehow an actual real championship contention as well. So with that said, we will catch you guys next time. Tommy. Peace. Blaze Pizza. They don't really have a slogan, do they? I just made one up for them. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of sounded like living. Blaze Pizza. Living, living spaces. spaces. <laughs>